Hello and welcome to the Redefining Success podcast. I am your host Ruta and in this episode I interviewed the legendary Michael Neal who has been changing lives for over 35 years. Michael has written several personal development best-selling books such as Supercoach, Inside Out Revolution, The Space Within and Creating the Impossible. In this conversation we analyze what truly makes one's life a success, how to listen to the inner guidance, why it's even important and what's the one thing Michael would have liked to have realized sooner in his own personal journey. And before we dive into the episode, I want to warn you that facilitating this interview was a real challenge for me due to Wi-Fi connection, so I genuinely apologize for that and hope you will enjoy it despite some inconvenient cuts which I had to edit. And so, have fun listening! One of the most common things that clients come to me for initially is they there is something that they don't want to do that they think they have to do and they want my help in making them do it so there's a a, a fundamental premise going in that um, I know what I'm supposed to be doing but the undisciplined child in me it, it, it won't do it. And I need you to be the parent and come in and make my undisciplined child in me do the things that it doesn't want to do, but have to be done. Now, the problem, there's a lot of problems with that, but the, the biggest problem with that is they've almost always misdiagnosed the problem and they've almost always therefore come up with the wrong solution. So nine times out of 10, if there's something that somebody is consistently not doing, it's one of two things. They actually know not to do it, even though logically it makes sense, but there's an inner knowing this isn't the path. Or they're just scared. They do know to do it, but it's too scary. What they're making up it's going to take or where it's going to take them is too overwhelming a thought. But then their solution is discipline. Well, discipline won't help you with either of those things because if you're more disciplined about doing what you know not to do, that's a terrible idea. I can consistently get myself to do things that I know are a bad idea every day. Like, who wants that? But similarly, it's we think discipline is going to overcome fear. Well, sometimes it can for a minute. Right? Okay, I can, I can get myself geared up, but it's so exhausting to do it that way that usually after we've done that one or two things, we're done. We're just like, oh, I've put in a full day. Now, all you literally did was make one call, but it took so much out of you to overcome the fear that you're exhausted. So when I am working with somebody, the first thing we do is we throw all those assumptions up in the air and go, let's just start clean. Let's pretend we have no idea what the problem is, why, why you're not doing what you say you want to be doing. And, and, and inevitably, when you talk, it comes up, they don't really want to do it. They think, they think they have to or should, and or they're just scared. And those are not difficult things once you know that's the problem. There are simple solutions. But spending years trying to solve the wrong problems really does slow business down. Well, just for years in my company, I would hear myself say, because people would, I had very good people and they would give me very good advice. 
And I would hear myself in my head go, well, if it was my company, I wouldn't do that. But I mean, okay, you seem to be the expert. And then like one day, and it was kind of funny how many years it took me to realize, wait, it is my company. I'm acting like I should go with them because they're the experts. And sometimes that's not a terrible idea if I don't have any ideas. But every time that voice in my head was going, you know, well, if it was my company, I would do it like that. It, it took me ages to realize, well, it is your company. And then it took me another kind of length of time to realize I would rather crash doing it the way I know to do it in, in my heart, in my soul, than thrive running on somebody else's treadmill trying to keep up. Because that's not thriving. It just looks nice on a balance sheet. Mm. How would you describe success? Well, I I was, my definition of success comes from an, uh, an interview I did 11 years ago. So I was being interviewed for a Swedish magazine and they, they asked me my five-year vision for my life. And I, I was, uh, I had a, a putting green outside my office at that point. So I'm on the phone with and, and one-handed putting and looking around on a beautiful sunny day. And, and I, and I had a thought and I said, well, I'm really happy and I love my life. So five years from now, I'd like to be really happy and love my life. And I don't really care what it looks like. And that was when I realized, oh, my definition of success had changed. Because if you had asked me up to that point, I could have given you a, a punch list, right? Well, this and this and this and this and in this in the spiritual arena and this in the personal arena and this in the business arena. And here is my wheel of life. And isn't it robust? And all of that. But I just realized in that moment, oh, it's so much simpler than if I can be really happy and love my life, most of the time, I don't know, eight plus, like it doesn't have to be a 10, eight plus is fine. Well, then I'm good. Like there is nothing more I can think of that I want out of life. Now, it doesn't mean within my business, I might not have goals or along the way, like this year, I do a program every year called Creating the Impossible based on one of my books. And you, the idea is you take an impossible project on that you are almost certainly going to fail at, you know, and, and spend 90 days seeing if you can do it. And so my project I chose for myself this year when we did the program was to uh, teach a class in Spanish. And I spoke no Spanish. Um, and I didn't start until February 1st. And I had booked in the class for April 14th. And I, I taught a pretty good class in Spanish. You can find it on YouTube, Introducción a los Tres Principios. And, and it was like, huh. Like, so I, that was fun, but that wasn't success. Like that was part of living from a place of, well, you know, I'm, I'm good. Life's good in here. Like I love the life that I live. There may be pain and suffering. Like I work with people who are in really awful circumstances as well as people who are in really great circumstances. So it's not like um, when I say love my life, I just ignore anything bad in the world. No, I help with as much of the bad in the world as I can, along with as much of the good in the world. But I love the way that I get to be with people. I love the conversations we get to have. I love watching them come alive. And seeing how once they come alive, it's extraordinary how their circumstances, they navigate them with grace. So 
it's not love your life as in, so to love my life, I need to live in a 4,000 square foot house and I need to live in this city and I need to be with this kind of a man or a woman and I need to do this and I need to do that. That's not loving your life. That's having a list that sounds pretty in your head. Like, I, I don't know if you remember um, when The Secret came out. It, it was um, you know, hugely popular in the States, and I think it was all over the world, The Secret, where, where, where you would visualize your ideal life and manifest it. And here in L.A., I met so many people who met their exes doing The Secret. Because what they did is they created a list of their ideal partner, but they forgot to put in things like, oh, and I like them. <laughs> so yeah, on paper, they were fantastic, but didn't particularly like them. And funnily enough, the relationship didn't work out. So, you know, that's the problem with trying to force form onto it. Because you just don't know in advance what it's going to look like. But you do know in advance what it'll feel like when, you, when you're on the right track. I am not saying circumstances don't matter. I'm saying they do not matter to your ability to be happy and love your life. No, it, it matters to me very much that things like, and, and I don't know when this will go out, but things like school shooting stop. That matters to me. But it doesn't mean that I can't be happy and love my life, even though that exists in the world. Right? When, when people very close to me have gotten ill and died, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm saying that ultimately, of course I grieved. Of course I felt sad. Of course at times I felt scared. But overall, my well-being was never at stake. My fundamental okayness was never up, up for grabs. So it's, I, I want to make that distinction because it makes it easier to see. Now, in terms of like financial circumstances, right? It's, it's, it's not that if you want to eat, you don't need money. In, now, it, technically there are parts of the world where that is true because they have decent social services and you, you will be taken care of. And even actually just good neighbors in America, you know, that, that there actually is quite a lovely network of people who are committed to feeding you even if you don't have the money. But I get it's an inadequate response to a kind of a huge situation. But at that point, there's a difference between I don't have the money to start up my business. Well, then you haven't paid much attention, right? There, there are so many books about the $100 startup, the lean startup, the, the, the people who started in their mom's garage, Right? They don't start with the billions of dollars that an Elon Musk starts his fourth company with after the first three go amazingly well. You know, I used to be in the film business and there was a director named Peter Brook and um, a young film student was, was talking to him and going, well, it's much harder now than in your day. To, and he just stopped him and he said, no, 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 no. He said, how much money could you raise? And they said, oh, I mean, I've only been able to raise like 500 pounds, you know, 500. And, and, and he said, then make the best movie you can make for 500 pounds and use that. And if it's any good, you'll be able to raise 5,000 pounds in the next round. You, you know, there are so many ways 
to do things with very little. Yeah, you might need to borrow the first hundred bucks. But actually, if you've got a decent idea, that won't be as hard as you think. Right? I had a client who who made his first millions um, from having shares in um, uh, file transfer protocol software, which was like FTP. It was the kind of standard on the web for a long time. But he was he was just in college, and this guy had an idea for it, and they all pitched in. I think I think they all pitched in a hundred bucks, right? Which was enough yeah. to get it started, and you know that made him his first million ten years down the line. Like it's. I'm not saying, oh, poverty's fine. Don't worry about it. Oh, horrible situation. It's not about positive mental attitude. It's just not about getting your well-being mixed up in creating in the world. They're two separate things. Mm. And I know this because I have worked with people who've created huge things in the world who are miserable human beings. And I've worked with people who've created huge things in the world who were really happy. It's not that you can't do it either way. It's that when you think you have to get you right first, you have to get to a different starting place. You can't get there from here is the Mm. kind of attitude. Oh, you can. And it only usually takes some very simple shifts in understanding. I wouldn't even say mindset because mindset we kind of have to impose with our will. I will have a positive mindset. I will have a go-getter mindset. I will, I can, I am, right? And it's, again, it's a different kind of exhausting. And if it works for someone, I'm not, I'm not inherently opposed to it, but I'm inherently opposed to the tens of thousands of people who think that's what you have to do to be successful. That's what you have to do to make your way in the world. You have to become somebody else. And you really don't. You, You just have to kind of uncover who you really are. Because who we really are is so much more of a big deal than we think. You know, we Mm. think, well, you know, I'm me. I did this. That was fun. I've never done that. Right? And that's how we think of ourselves. We are the infinite creative potential of the entire fucking universe. That's who we are. And yeah, in the form of just me who does this and that, that. But... If you start to wake up to that, this whole game gets much easier. It's like if you've been trying to play the game as a 12-year-old, and then you realize, oh, wait, I'm 35. It's a lot easier as a 35-year-old than it was as a 12-year-old. And so when I work with clients, when I work with people on their businesses, it's not a mindset I'm trying to impart. I'm just trying to wake them up to who they already are and then unleash that on what they want to create in the world. What would you recommend to overly rational people who maybe have a bit of a difficulty um, or or a challenge to trust that gut feeling? Well, part of the problem is is it's not just challenging them for for them to hear what their heart is recommending. It's challenging for them to hear you and I talk about it. Because just a busy mind, whether we want to say, well, yes, it's a busy mind because I'm very smart and I have a lot to think about, or it's a busy mind because I'm stressed and worried and I have a lot to think about, or it's a busy mind. The fact is that if you have a brass band playing really loud, or let's, let's take it out of that realm, like if you've got a punk band just on stage thrashing in your head, 
you're not going to hear the, the, the little piccolo player in the back. And our, the heart, the inner voice, the inner knowing is a lot quieter than the noise in head. So I, I have a sort of a universal diagnosis for people. You know, I can tell somebody pretty much who's struggling with anything. Oh, I know your problem. And, and they'll go, well, what is it? And I'll go, too much noise in head. Because when that settles, we suddenly realize, oh, we do know what to do. Oh, we do know on track, off track. We do know, yeah, no, warmer, colder. But we're so used to trying to navigate inside the bubble of noise. So I'll, I'll use a metaphor often with clients is I'll say, like, if you've got a really deep river, like the, the Mississippi River in the States or the, the Rhine or the Seine or what, you know, one of the big rivers in Europe, then from time to time, the surface of that river can be really choppy. You know, whatever the weather is, it can be pretty noisy up there. You only have to dive down about two feet and you're in this quiet flow. Mm. And if you do go down deeper, you'll find an almost stillness and almost kind of spiritual or profound quiet. So we can spend, we are made in a way that we can spend 80 plus percent of our time going between that deep inner quiet and that gentle flow. And yeah, from time to time, we're going to come up and have to deal with the chop on the top. But most people spend 80 to 90% of their time trying to deal with the chop on the top, the noise in their head, the chaos in their own minds. And so they, it's not that they can't listen to their heart. It's that they're not where their heart is. <laughs> they're where their head is. And if you, right. it, it takes so little. It's, it's almost shocking. I used to, with clients, just as a trick, um, say, okay, Take one minute to do whatever occurs to you to do to get more present right now. Mm. And I would have clients yell at me. Like, I didn't pay you to take a minute to get quiet. And I would just laugh at them. I mean, you know, with love. And go, if you can't take one minute, you're not going anywhere. Right? You're running on fumes. You are just an accident waiting to happen. And eventually... They would take the minute. And of course, we take a minute. Our shoulders drop. Our breath drops. And our own kind of inner knowing, our inner wisdom comes back online. It's like, oh, I know what to do. And it's usually that close. This is a great, great, great advice to just, even if it's just for 60 seconds, even if it's just for a moment to kind of settle down, ground yourself, sit down and, and that's what I personally do as well whenever I feel kind of all over the place and 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 my mind is chattering the, the monkey mind is chattering then I definitely take the moment and that's what I recommend my clients myself so when when you are talking about quieting down and allowing the heart to to speak and and giving yourself that space how would you say people can really improve their mind mastery and focus on the right things even more beyond taking those 60 seconds or beyond taking inspired action. I, I, you need enough focus to not go off the road. Like if you drive, you don't need laser focus. You just need to not drift too far out of your lane. 
So yes, it takes focus. But we all know that when we're driving, if we've been driving for a while, we can keep the car in the lane. We can keep the car going at a reasonable speed or even at times speed up or slow down as we need to. And we'll get where we're going. It, it's not this laser focus. I must, right? Because again, all that stuff suggests mastery. Mastery to me is, is, is not this masculine energy imposition on how I do what I do. Mastery is just a description of when you get to the point in your craft, whatever your craft is in your business, in what you do, where you can do it with a degree of flexibility and effortlessness, even when there's chaos all around you. Mastery is not like, I am now a master. It is, oh, I've kind of mastered this. I can do this a million different ways. And it, I just don't get that thrown. So mastery, worthwhile direction to move in, but it's not a mindset. It's not a, um, in my mind, it's not a mindset. It's not something you impose onto it. My laser-like focus, my discipline, and my book. And it's like, it's all very exciting. And if you're trying to do something in 30 days that should take a year, yeah, you're going to need that kind of intensity. But, you know, if something's going to take a year, you can take about a year to do it. You just have to stay in the game and not take too many detours and exits and get stuck at rest stops. You, you know, it's just stay on the road. It's not that hard. Right. I love that. I love that you're talking about patience, basically, and and having that faith and being committed to the journey, to the long game. It doesn't matter where I end up. Like you said in the very beginning, it doesn't matter what the destination ends up to be. But if I am committed to the journey and to having fun and to making a difference and to really adding value in, in the world to, to some extent, in some kind of way, then why are we so impatient? We're so impatient because we really believe there is going to be better than here. We think there is going to be the solution to all my uncomfortable feelings here. So right now I'm sad and scared and lonely, but when I'm in a relationship, then I'll be happy and up and cheerful. Right now I feel low and impotent and crap, but when I make a million dollars, then I'll be strong and this and that. And so we're trying to create in the world to, to, to fix our feelings, but there's no such thing as a solution to a feeling. Feelings come and go with thought. Whatever you happen to be thinking about, that's what you'll be feeling. Like if yeah. you're thinking scary thoughts, you'll feel scared. If you're feeling stressed thoughts, you'll feel stressed. If you're feeling happy thoughts, you'll feel happy. It's, it's not that you have to then make yourself feel them, but that's all that's going on. The second your thinking changes, which it does on its own, right? Ever tried to think about one thing for a whole day? It's really hard. But, but, but so we get the idea that in order to be less scared, I have to take over the world. In order to um, feel worthwhile, I have to make myself better than these people. In order to, um, in order to feel content, I have to have more money than anyone has ever had in the history of the world. And so what's driving the car is is shoddy fuel because the second I start to feel better, I lose my engine. I lose my fuel. 
But if I'm going somewhere because I want to get there, if I'm creating because, oh, I think it'd be really neat to see what it's like to have a world where this is in it. Oh, I think it'd be really, I'm really interested in what it would be like to have a business that does this in the world. Well, then patience is natural because you're happy now and you'll be happy then, or you're unhappy now and you'll be unhappy then, except for when you're happy, except for when you're on. Like we tie our achievement into our feelings in a way that just isn't how it works. Mm. And it sounds so basic, so simple, but I've been doing this for 30 plus years. And as best I can tell, it's that simple but we're just really good at making it look complicated. So if you had to pinpoint to something that helped you to keep going, because like you said, you've been around in the, in, in the coaching industry, in the personal development industry, and you have done so many things. And I'm sure that there were challenging moments in your own career, in your own life as well. So what, what would be the thing that helped you the most to keep going? Every time that I was getting frustrated and thinking, oh, maybe I should just become a plumber, right? I would go, if I had an opportunity to do this tomorrow, like if, if I was hired for a job tomorrow, would I take it? And the answer was always yes. Like not even a hesitation, not even a, hmm. And so it's like, okay, then then I'm not on the wrong track. I just, it's not going well right now. Right? So that question for me, and that question also in my previous career is what got me to leave is because one day the answer to that was no. And I was like, oh, I guess I'm done. Right? I had been a, an actor and I'd been a successful actor. I had a sitcom in, in, in Wales in the UK and I had a lot of radio stuff and did, I, I mean, I, it was, it was a, a fine career. It was on a nice trajectory. And anytime, as in that world, as with most entrepreneurial worlds, there are boom and busts cycles. When it wasn't going well, I would go, yeah, but if I got offered a job tomorrow, would I take it? And the answer had always been, yeah. And then one day I got the offer of a lifetime. So my career trajectory was towards an American show called Saturday Night Live. It's the show I loved growing up. My, what I was doing in my career was aiming me in that direction. And... Uh, I was performing in Chicago and one of the feeder companies for Saturday Night Live is called Second City. And the Second City guys saw me perform and invited me to stay on and audition for them. So one step away from the dream. And my first thought was, oh, I just want to go home and see my wife and kids. And my second thought was, oh, I guess that's not my dream anymore. Mm. And and then that's when I just, I knew it was, it wasn't even that big a deal because it was just like, oh, okay. That's not what I really want to do anymore. I think what works is learning to listen to yourself under, under the noise, right? Because I'm sure the noise in that scenario is going, yeah, but if you keep going this way and it doesn't work, you're going to run out of money. And yeah, but if this does work, then I'll be great. Yeah, but if... Right. Like you got to get under that. That's not, you're not going to find anything in there. Right. That's like, like your two aunties arguing about something that they've been arguing about for 30 years. Like <laughs> it's not, it's not going to resolve today. 
But underneath that, we all have a, a, a sense of yes, no, warmer, colder. And if we learn to trust that in little things, then when it comes to something bigger, we can trust it even there. So that's the, if there's a skill set, maybe more than a mindset, it's, it's learning to hear, and I'm saying hear, but it might be feel, it might be, to, to, to kind of really get a feel for, oh, this is what yes feels like for me. This is what no, like a no-brainer yes. Not a I talked myself into it. But it was just like, oh, yeah. And this is what a no-brainer no feels like. Not like a, well, I would, but just a, oh, no. Right? And once you start getting clear clear for yourself about what your no-brainer yeses feel like and your no-brainer no's, it gets so much easier very quickly. And that, again, means quieting the mind and slowing down sometimes and, and really allowing for those answers to emerge. It happens when our mind quiets. It, it's, it's because it's sitting there right under the surface waiting for you. You know, it's like we're going, where's the answer? Where's the answer? And the answer is just like, just there going, I'm going here. But we, yeah. you know, you know, we just don't hear it. Exactly. We don't even listen. We don't even give it, give it a, a try. It's, no, it's just there people, waiting. I think often people don't know it's there. Yeah. And then once you start to get the experience that it really is there, you start to go to there more and more of the time. And once you start to see just how trustworthy it is, you trust it more and more. And, and over time, you really can be guided by wisdom. You can be guided by that inner knowing. You know? and, and the people I know who have been very successful over time, right? Anybody can be flash in the pan and, and cool, but then, the, this, then, then you're on a different game. But if you would like sustainable personal success, sustainable business success, then these are the these are the rails that that train rides on. Mm. So it's worth getting them laid, laying those foundations. Yeah, and like you said, it might take a year, it might take a couple of years, it might even take a decade. It's not really about that. The result might, but getting in touch with that takes a millisecond, right? You're one thought away from getting in touch with that inner guidance. Yeah, the actual creation in the world, some stuff takes generations. There's a church I visited in, in um, New York. It's a, a um, Gothic cathedral that they started building in the 19th century. And I think they think they'll be done in like 2155 or something. Wow. Now that's a hell of a project to start in the 19th century knowing that there's no way that even your grandkids are going to be alive mm. to see completion. You know, so we're sitting there going, how do I get it done in six months instead of a year? Well, some, some stuff takes time. And, and, and so it's not, um, it's not that everything has to take three generations to create, but, but if you've got a big enough vision, it probably is bigger than your lifespan. Mm. As you've been helping thousands of people by now for the last three decades, over three decades, your 
approach was emerging and shifting and you know over time with experience with with new wisdom with new knowledge with new skill sets it was kind of shifting what have you realized over time that made things easier hmm. well i think if i was going to sort of draw the trajectory like it started out quite easy for me because I didn't know you were supposed to try and I didn't know it was supposed to be hard. Right. So I just kind of stumbled into things. I just mm. was put up on stage in front of an audience and it went really well. I, I got cast in a, in, in a, in a lead in a show that I, I, I didn't have a resume for, but it just, I found the whole idea that I was even auditioning for it. So funny that I went in and, was totally relaxed and I offered to make coffee for everyone in the room and they were like, that's exactly what the character would have done, right? <laughs> and so it went really well. But then what happened was I thought, God, if, it, if I can do it this well without trying, imagine how much better it would go if I started to try. And then it nosedived. Because of course, then I started to bring in strategies and a completely different energy. So instead of showing up and flowing with what was going on instead of taking the next step and being fully present with that. And then the next step and being fully present with that, I was like, right in three years, I'm going to be there. And then in seven years, I'm going to be there. And it, it, it all fell apart because it's so much harder to do things that way. Mm-hmm. And so in a way, the, the, the bulk of my journey was getting back to the simplicity I started with where it's just show up, be yourself, see what happens, repeat. Like that is my business advice to top CEOs that I work with. That was my business advice to the head of a movie studio that I was working with. That's my, my, my business advice to a 19-year-old entrepreneur trying to start his first company. That's how it really works. And the more noise and story you make around it, the harder it looks and the harder it is. Now, one of the things that might happen when you show up is you might realize, oh, we need a plan. Cool, make a plan. No big deal. Oh, we need to raise money. Okay, cool. That's what's next. But actually raising money isn't what's next. Thinking about who you might talk to is what's next. Imagine that you've got um, a a car with a 12-cylinder engine you know, a V12, like a super, super engine car. And if you're multitasking, then, 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 then two of the cylinders are firing left. Two of the cylinders are firing right. Two of the cylinders are firing. So you've only got two cylinders available for what's actually in front of you. Well, if you're driving a car and only two cylinders are firing, everything feels uphill. Everything feels hard. When all 12 cylinders are firing in one direction, you can take on big hills and they don't feel like big hills. So there is so much power that gets wasted and dissipated in the multitasking. It's not morally bad. It's not, you should pay attention. You know, it's just, hey, do you want, you know, do you want to try and conquer this hill in a four cylinder, a six cylinder, an eight cylinder, or a 12 cylinder? Well, 12 cylinder. Cool. Then let all 12 cylinders be involved in the task at hand. And then everything's not that hard. 
what makes it hard is we're trying to do it with such a limited part of our capacity. We underestimate it because we're so used to getting by on two cylinders or getting by on two wheel drive or getting by on that. And it's like, oh no, there's never a time where you're going to do better that way. Exactly. And suddenly you realize again, oh, I am capable of so much more than I think because my comparisons are how much I can achieve when I'm really too much noise in head and it, trying to go in multiple directions at the same time and trying to be six steps ahead and distracted. And it's like, well, no, yeah, anyone, you could give me Bill Gates when his mind is doing that and he's going to struggle. Hmm. Right. It, it's not you. It's how you are using your mind. You are using the mind and not allowing the mind to use you. Hmm. Well, and, and that's, a, that's I, I, I love that because it depends what you mean by the mind. So like I, I was talking mind like your brain, like, mm -hmm. you, you know, they say the, 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 the intellect, uh, you know, the intellect makes a wonderful servant and a terrible master. So, you know, you really know, I, I'm, people sometimes go, are you anti-intellectual? I'm like, well, then I would be anti-myself. That's how I was. <laughs> but, but. But the, if the intellect's in charge, oh, it gets ugly in here. It's anxiety, it's depression, it's overwhelm, it's, it's, the, it, it's, it, it's not helpful. But to be able to use it is great. But there is a, a deeper mind. A, a, you know, we can call it whatever we want. We can call it uh, inner knowing. We can call it guidance. We can call it intuition. People who are spiritual will call it something spiritual. But there is... There is a, a, a force. And if we let that force use us, actually, it's even more incredible what we can create. There is this deeper nature, this deeper, right? I don't know the plan for the planet, but it's got one. And I don't know the plan for me, but in some ways there is one. It's probably pretty fluid. But if I listen, part of what I hear is, well, why is it that this tugs to me and this doesn't? What is it that makes this a yes and this a no? And, and the way it feels to me is it's like, hey, I just step onto the magic carpet each day. And I don't know exactly what that is, but it always takes me somewhere cool. What would you say to the skeptics who would say, oh, but I, I don't believe that there is some kind of inner guidance and um, some kind of a intuition, whatever we want to call it. And they would be like, no, I, I, I don't believe that, that there is something beyond what I currently understand about my existence. Oh, I, I, I would just say, you know, are, are you happy and loving your life? Because if you are, great. I, got, I, I don't need anybody to believe anything. But if you aren't and you're curious, that's one of the directions you might look. And I'm not talking religion. I don't have a religion. But it's, it's, I'm just saying that. So I did a talk in Denmark um, mid to, to 2010s, like around 2015. And there were um, work groups from the government, from various oil companies, banks. It was, it was a kind of a high level group. 
And I was sort of warned that in Scandinavia, we do not talk about spiritual things. Especially in- <laughs> really? That's interesting. And, 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 so, and I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And so I, you know, I, I, I didn't. I just talked about getting quiet. I talked about, you know, being all in. I talked, you know, I talked about this kind of stuff like this and I didn't go there. Well, at the end of the day, each group made a presentation about what they were taking away and every group brought up God or spirit or something bigger than themselves. And I'm like, okay, it's not like we don't have a sense of it. We might not like the name of it. We might not like the description of it. We might not like the implications we think come with it. Oh, now I've got to do this. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm just talking about if you get quiet and listen, there is a guidance system in there. I don't know what it is. I don't know that it has any magic powers. I don't know that it's connected to anything, but I guarantee you it's there. We have an inner knowing. We can say, oh, well, that's just part of my brain. Okay, cool. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a brain scientist. I'll, I'll go with you. But it's there. And man, is it reliable. Mm. It is. Okay, so I have a last question before we close. Um, as you are focusing in your work on humor and the importance of sense of humor, so what role does humor play in one's pursuit of their dreams and and having a high quality of life and really just living an awesome life that they want to live? There's a lightheartedness. that really makes life easier. And there's a heaviness that really makes life harder. And we add the heaviness. We're naturally quite light, right? You look at a baby, you know, it's very rare that some people, oh, it's a very serious baby. If there's a very serious baby, I promise you she's pooping. Like, you, you, <laughs> you, you, you know, it's, and, and then, but at a certain point we are taught, this is serious. And what this is serious means is you need to be heavy and you need to not make jokes and you need to do this and you need to... Now, something can be serious in the sense that it needs my full attention. I understand that. But I can give it my full attention without the feeling, without the heaviness. And then it's going to be even better. So and, and the reason I change it from humor to lightheartedness is humor, it's kind of like people start thinking, well, jokes, okay, I'll learn jokes. No, it's just lightness. The more you can allow your natural lightness to be there, even if you are, look, I am taking it seriously. You have 100% of my attention, but, I, but I'm not going to put on this face. Right, newsreader face. Like, like it, you know, it, it, it's you know, you look at the newsreaders and you think, oh man, they've learned to hold the serious face, <laughs> right? And it's like that's a whole game, and I, I understand it, but it's not a game that I find particularly helpful. Right. Thank you so much. Any final notes that you want listeners to take away from this conversation? I mean, only that if. You know, and I don't know if I'm I'm allowed to do this because I'm going to kind of plug a little. But if you're interested in more, I would say, I would check out my TED Talk. Why aren't we awesomer? Um, it's just a very 14 minutes. You know, million and a half people have watched it. They seem to like it. 
like it's it's a nice if you've enjoyed this that's just another kind of take on this and then just if you're interested come check out michaelneal.org and learn more i mean there's this this is what i love to teach and share and thank you for giving me a place where i can teach and share thank you thank you for taking the time thank you for your wisdom for your knowledge for this amazing conversation i really enjoyed it thank you Rita. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Michael. Now, as we spoke a lot about the inner guidance in this episode, I recommend you do a little exercise with me. Set an intention to slow down and listen to your heart throughout the day. Make it your goal to be as present and sensitive to your thoughts and emotions as possible. Ask yourself, why do I feel this way? What does this thought mean? Is this even true? What could it mean underneath the surface? Investigate your thoughts and emotions and what they mean to you. Get in touch with them and then reflect at the end of the day what you have learned about yourself, about your beliefs, about what it means about your life and how you can become a better version of yourself moving forward. Now, if you find this episode and the entire podcast helpful, please share it with other people who will benefit from it. And by doing so, you will contribute to making the world a happier place. Thank you and speak to you in the next episode. Bye-bye.